welcome to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast with your host, Lars Janssen. Welcome to this episode of our DevCom Podcast Series, bringing you the DevCom experience year-round. Today, I have two guests, and we will talk about gamification, series games, leadership, entrepreneurship, and many related topics from both a research perspective and a teaching perspective, and also from an application point of view. So I'm very happy to welcome Sigi and Lupko. Sigi is the CEO um, and founder of the music platform Vibe. And uh, Lupko is many things, project manager, research assistant, and business development manager for various endeavors. And he will pretty much talk about them in a moment. So welcome, you two. Great to have you here. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Lars. And obviously, these guys are not only uh, having the name Sigi and Lupko, but I didn't want to butcher the names. So <laughs> when, I, when they introduced themselves, I you know let you do the honor. I know that you both have like very interesting long names, at least the full ones. So uh, Sigi, why don't you give us an introduction to yourself, uh, and then afterwards Lupko, and um, you know please don't forget uh, to give our audience your full names. It's going to be exciting for them. <laughs> yeah, you know what they say about people with long names. They are more actually cultured. <laughs> and so that's what they say. What they say. So my full name is uh, Sigurdur Ásgeir Atnason. And it's an old naming ritual that they have here in Iceland. So I'm named after one, like two of my grandpas, meaning Sigurdur and Ásgeir. And I'm also the son of my dad, or son of Árni, right? So that's a usual way like how we give names to people. Pretty cool. So my name would be... Lubomir Tari Matsuk Ukrainski Zinovich. It's also a very old name and it's also a conjunction of fem f feminine side and masculine side of my family. They want to have, we have in our tradition, we have to have ma feminine and masculine side in our names. And we have also fatter sides so of uh, parental name. So it's the last one, like in Iceland. And I have also Christian name. So I, when I was born, I went to the church and people gave me another name, kind of a um, religious name so that's the history of my name i'm a little bit jealous now because you guys all have those long names and a lot of history and legacy in there i don't i don't you know but hey you know that's why we have you here <laughs> no of course we don't only have you here for your names so um i mean this this episode is going to be a special one because we cover many different topics uh you know talking about research and talking about the application side of things and uh we we wanted to do an episode on, on gamification for quite a while now um and everything related to that but let's maybe start with something lighter so how did you two meet each other you've been knowing each other for a while uh so how about you tell us a bit about how you get connected uh, in, in in what area and a little bit of what you do together i used to work for this conference called tiarts back in the day when i was working in energy and i was also doing some brandy consulting within the energy sector right and i met this gentleman here dr lupumir at the conference and we got really drunk together and started talking about gamification and energy and so forth and uh, We've been doing this and that since then, and uh, yeah, and uh, what we have in common is just it's extreme interest in the in in the actual subject. I think so, Luko. Is that right? Uh, it's partly true. We met before charge. We connected on LinkedIn, and in my position as a business development manager for Alex. 
So, and why I got interested, it's because of the name. The name it was very interesting. Then it was Iceland, then it was energy that was very related to my work at Alex. And then the first communication, I think in three, four sentences, we had a deal with Shige and I, and I like people like this. You don't spend much time, you get to the point and you create value. And he created value for me, I created value for him. And from that moment on, except alcohol, it was all very fast, very good, very nice, and it increasing in capacity and volume. Speaking of fast and efficient, I got to give you a little bit of a backstory of this episode here for our audience. You know, oh, we've yes. actually been trying to do this a couple of times. So unfortunately, in that case, we weren't really, <laughs> really efficient. We had a little bit of technical issues for quite a while. So we're super happy to finally bring this to you uh, after we've overcome this. And uh, next time, if we do a follow up ever, you know, we hope that uh, it's going to be more efficient, similar to the deal that you guys made in the beginning. Maybe I will add from my side, four countries were involved in producing this podcast, Portugal, Germany, Iceland, and Spain. So I was in Portugal when I first could well, had the chance to uh, to have this podcast. And Sigi is in Iceland based, and now I'm in Germany. And then when I was discussing the another appointment, I was trespassing the uh, the Spain. See, that that's what we go uh, through for you to create the perfect DevCom experience. Yeah, I've actually tried two computers and three sets of headphones now. Yeah, definitely this this episode sets records in uh in all kind of different aspects so um lupko you mentioned uh alex as a company that uh, you worked for uh, earlier can you tell a bit about what uh, alex does and uh, kind of what your role there is alex um, is an exciting company and i'm really happy to be with them because i didn't expect it to be so exciting it's not always easy but it's Every day something new. So Alec is in DNA is an energy company. It started in the early 90s as a startup. They developed a tool for simulating security for energy grids. And then step by step, step by step, they evolved and branched out in different industries. Now it's a company, it's a global company of 1,500 people getting more. And uh, we have offices in Middle East, in Europe, Canada, United States, uh, Tokyo. Exactly, yes. But in our core, we're still very startup oriented, very, very innovation driven company for digital innovation, digital transformation. You, when we uh, talked about, uh, you know, the uh, the happy prep call for the podcast, you mentioned that you have a project um, uh, there named Alex Coin, uh, kind of internal blockchain project. Can you talk a bit about this? Because I found this particularly interesting. Um, it's one of the things you do at Alex. Yeah, so Alex Coin. Um, so the Alex, it's um, it's a very funny company in the way that they have lots of internal innovation. And there is an internal movements a lot. And sometimes when people get together, they brainstorm and uh, in few weeks they have a solution. They have a, a, a have something, a new digital innovation, new digital product, new digital solution for something. And this is how Alex Coin came to life. The idea behind Alex Coin is that uh, to increase engagement inside of the company through a reward system, through uh, increasing trust between people to increasing communication between people. This is a blockchain platform where you uh, interact with other employees in the company around the world by uh, proposing a good deed they did. And then for this good deed, you will be rewarded. Then the people, if it's get validated by another participants in the company, uh, then uh, those participants will get rewarded. And then the person, if it's uh, 
won the ranking, so to say, the per person will get lots of coins, Alex, so-called Alex coins. Those Alex coins you can spend, for example, on coffee, on education, on the internal educational programs, maybe on some trips, on some weekend trips, and so on and so on. Um, but uh, what, I, what we saw uh, that the companies outside got interested, companies from energy sector, from logistics, from... Um, also digital agencies because they realized that this uh, tool could be applied also to interaction with customers and now we're working with a one japanese company called freewill in tokyo and they implementing this solution this alex coin internally and externally cool i mean see i know that you are um also very interested in, in, in the topic of energy and uh, it's also part of you know how you how you two get connected so um when uh, luca describes uh, alex coin is that something that you see an immediate application for in the in the energy sector are you talking to me yes I am. <laughs> well i th i think yes and also when we do this with something that can be financially rewarding so on i remember when we when we uh, recorded the first podcast, I think six months ago or even a year ago or maybe two years ago, it was a really long time ago, <laughs> um, we had this really interesting uh, conversation about gamification and how you could apply it. And we were just, uh, we are basically going to that later, but what industries could be affected by this, right? And the talk ended with that we wanted to see game designers working outside of the gaming industry in industries like energy, hospitality, marketing, and so forth. I think with this Alex coin, which is a gamified currency, I think when you have a gamified currency, you have something substantial, right? And uh, the last thing that came to my mind when we did the last recording was how we could potentially gamify the financing industry, right? because they have actual rewards, right? And I think just if you have an actual reward system through a currency, I think you are one step further than actual application of something, right? right. I, I think, I mean, you can apply this, of course, in energy and uh, marketing and finance and so forth. But what this is, what I find really interesting about the LX coin is that it's an actual currency that is a gamified currency, right? Right. That's super interesting to me. So, uh, Luca, when you um, were designing this uh, this Alex Coin project at uh, at Alex, uh, did you uh, employ like traditional game designers from the games industry in order to work on that, or uh, or if not, then did you somehow bring the the game design thinking from that industry to to this project? Uh, maybe you can describe a little bit what what the thinking was around this and and how you actually made this happen, because that's what we're I think what our audience is also interested in, since we're you know DevCom is mostly targeting the games industry we want to open up uh, you know to other industries and showcase how we can use the knowledge that is built in our industry for for others and so it would be interesting to learn a bit about the you know the process of how you develop this and what kind of value you know games people could add to this going forward well i think first of all to your last sentence uh, the value of uh, people who uh, know um, who are familiar with the game industry with the game philosophy with the culture of game who have uh, this metaphysical knowledge of games are very valuable not only for digital companies not digital transformation companies but internally in every aspect of life because the game is the essence of life the, it's how the life came to to be alive we a game is the essence of us so we educate we learn through game we uh, we grow through game we create value through game life is a game 
so that's what I wanted to say to your sentence. So the value is very high and it has to be implemented now currently in the corona crisis in post pandemic crisis in crisis times the game has to be implemented more and more that's the first comment the second comment the process of development the process of development came through our culture in the company we didn't apply any game designers we actually i'm not sure if we have any game designers in the company we have maybe gamers who play games and definitely those people play games lots of them but on a private basis and this mindset could could have been a part of the design process but the culture in our company is um, um, it relates to if you know if uh, you know the Gore-Tex company this it distributed leadership styles and uh, associates no no clear not I wouldn't say not clear but um, very few management styles so it's leadership it's it's not management and through that it demands a lot of engagement for the employees um, and this mindset was implemented in designing this this system so the responsibility to give the responsibility and to give the power to the employees and engage them encourage them reward them so it's a kind of a peer-to-peer -peer reward system and encouragement system and support system so oftentimes, uh, you know, you, you want to encourage people. And, and uh, when we talk about gamifying systems, then it's, uh, and I think that there was a, a phrase that you said when we talked about this earlier, is uh, uh, you have to transform a must do something to want to do something. Uh, so maybe you both can speak a little bit on like, uh, you know, how gamification and, and, the, and the, that way of thinking has evolved over the, you know, from your point of view over the past couple of years and how you get people from this, you know, uh, this, this chore of having to do something uh, all the way to, you know, they really want to do it. And if it, I mean, you, in this case, you're talking about an, uh, like an, a reward because you have this coin system, but uh, sometimes you don't have, a, have an actual coin and, and not, actu not an actual value, but still, you know, people uh, are willingly doing this. Um, so I'd be curious what your thoughts are on this. Sigi, would you like to start? Because I can talk hours about that. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, but there's just so many things being said here. When Luko was talking about, you know, games being live and like all of that, I think it's, uh, I think it's no secret that like what we need now, like Luko said, is to create actual value out out of a digital experience, right? So basically, we are, we are, we can't almost leave our houses, which means that if we're actually just stuck in our houses, basically. We have to have some platforms or some ways to add extra value to those digital products that we're actually using, right? So say, for example, social media, when we are on social media, we are technically playing a game, right? Because we are somewhat projecting ourselves. We want to rack up, we want to get likes and like so forth, right? But I think uh, in terms of the future, I think we just should add more game if I think into proto design, right? So what gamification has been so for is almost a gimmicky word, right? You can like talk yeah. so much like around gamification, like what is gamification and like all of that. And uh, I think if you apply it in your game design, just to add stickiness and just to add it as an actual process, like for, like, for example, search engine optimization or like something like that, if you can actually implement it to have an actual goal 
I think uh, that will be the next step in uh, implementing gamification. Do you have an example like uh, that, uh, like uh, like from the last I don't know, year or so, where you saw gamification, game design thinking implemented in a way that you were real like, wow, this is how it should be, or this is really going uh, in the direction where you feel uh, it is very. Uh, I think Tint that is a really good example of it. Tint that has a really good game mechanic as the old hot or not swipe, right? And the reward is actually getting a date. Uh, they keep you notified. It's just based in their actual just product development. I can't really uh, differentiate between the game design and actual product design, right? Because it's so gamified. Um, Fitbit is another thing that that's really obvious, right? Because it's yeah. sports and uh, that is a game, right? But to gamify uh, your physical health, I've seen a lot of that. Um, other than that, nothing much, no. Uh, nothing much, but the whole company or the whole product is basically gamified. There are often some companies adding gamification as a tactic on the marketing services, and that's okay. But in terms of the whole company being gamified from the ground up, I think we're just too early to basically see that because I think it has to be on a startup level to begin with. I think it has to be a part of the initial product, the initial right. company, and like so forth. So uh, Tinder is the really the only example, like real example that I can think of at this moment in time. Yeah, since a friend of mine is actually active on Tinder right now, I recently saw their their weekend um, campaign with the I don't know if you've seen it's in the Swipe Night. Uh, it's kind of a it's even more gamifying this thing, you know, a customizable video experience giving you better matches and so on. So it plays a little bit into the example that you that you gave. Uh, so so Lupka, what are your thoughts on uh, on that area? My thoughts on that area. So I, I will start with an example, with the famous old example of Tom Sawyer. Do you know this Tom Sawyer effect? Of course, the uh, the guy got in, uh, um, I think Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Um, the Tom Sawyer got by his parents or grandparents the, the task to paint the fence. And he was finding this task so boring. And then, but he started so he thought what how how can i do it so what should i do it i don't want to do it i let other people do it and he was sitting there maybe painted two planks or something and then he was sitting there so excited and um, people were passing by and then the friends came and i was thinking what are you doing here and and he said you know i'm charging money for fa um, painting the fence and they said why do you charge money for painting the fence because it's the coolest job ever <laughs> and then they had like 10 guys and they would start competing against each other um uh, who was going to be the first to paint and then he was choosing them and he created increased the competition between them and he said no no only three people can paint the fence not all of you and he drove the price up I'm exaggerating a little bit but what do you see what I'm doing here I'm playing a different uh, aspect of gamification into the process so for me gamification is a holistic process a holistic process when i work for alex and holistic process in my educational academic career because i also work in academia so an example from my uh, alex work is my work as a bdm as innovation manager so basically i have to get leads basically i have to get people on board and try to engage them and uh, work with us but if i go out and tell them guys do you want to work with us they will say no 
because nobody wants to buy stuff and nobody wants to be sold to but everybody likes to buy stuff so you have to become a person who, from whom the per people would like to buy and how you become this person you become this person that again tinder the sexy unreachable unapproachable but maybe approachable person because and you can approach this person if you do this 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 and this so it takes time so this this process this holistic approach takes time and you this is how you have to approach this um this this, this bdm uh, style so we do uh, different uh, campaigns we employ physical we employ digital um, touch points so to say we conduct events for our customers and the the, the but but it's not um, manipulation we look very careful at our customers and the task is to understand what is the need what is the need they need to solve what is the problem they need to solve and sometimes they don't know the problem they have and we help them so we becoming the this friend they do would like to have so when you i'm curious now and you were describing business development uh a little bit like uh, you know to the to the Tinder analogy. Um, you're, you're it is that, like so. Are you saying that you you got to make yourself rare a little bit in order to be desired by people? So uh, well, you know, if, if people Alex... can't reach Lutko very much, that means that he's got a good product to sell. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that. I think I'm saying that we are choosing also our customers. We're looking for the perfect match. We don't want to work with anybody. For us, important to understand where is the long long term relationship, where is the sustainability now our relationship so if we enter the relationship tinder is good to have a one night stand or one date or something but i we don't as a company we don't like this kind of engagement we want to work with our customers for many many decades and this is how our company is organically grow we have the customers who would us on board for over 20 years um, and we are very careful in choosing customers. So we have a lots of conversation, lots of leads, lots of this and that. But you have to analyze the company as well. Do they have money? Do they have a product? Is the product useful? Will the product be in five years on the market? It, is this capacity for scaling? Is this a gl global? Um, is it possible to uh, globally scale up this product? So, and the, the key here is authenticity. Authenticity, how you communicate with those people and if the people are able to authentically communicate with you, if you can create value for them and if they can create value for you. So it's a two-way process. And then of course you employ some different techniques on a daily basis. So you uh, make them feel good. You then just uh, increase the tension. Then you decrease the tension. Then you create value for them. Then you approach them through the digital way. Do, do you approach them from the physical way, sending postcards or sending some gifts for Christmas and things like that. And that takes time. So that's from Alex. If you need, I can give you an example from academia, but maybe it's too much me talking. Well, you go, go for it. <laughs> so from academia point of view, I teach at academia and, and design um, courses in social entrepreneurship and um, entrepreneurship and innovation. Also leadership, and it goes also into serious games direction. So for this, it's um, gamified design. I would call it like this. It heavily relies on four principles. It's a double diamond principle by British Design Agency. If you know this double diamond principle, if not, I can explain it later on. Then the the logic of scientific discovery 
these steps of logic of scientific discovery when you start with uh, a problem then you go into a question then you go into hypothesis collecting data and then you're feuding and confirming the uh, your hypothesis and then devising the theory and third percent is iteration so you have to repeat 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 the same process over and over again until it's going to be never going to be perfect but it's going to be eventually better and the fourth fourth principle is cycle so cyclic so you start with a small cycle and then you go uh, again cycle and a bigger cycle and a bigger cycle so and everything happens at the same time it's a dynamic system it's a dynamic project based and challenge based system um it's a kind of a ripple effect if you throw a stone into a pond and you see those those the circles coming from the stone and yeah and this is how I design those courses. And once the person is in the course, it has so many things to do, so many exciting things, so many different, diverse things to do, that the person feels like, uh, creates a feeling of urgency, that I'm missing something. And if you create the person, the feeling that this person is missing something, the person doesn't want to miss anything because this creates another effect, exclusivity effect. It means that the person feels exclusive, that something, what the person will get, it's exclusive at this point of moment. It, and they ask me sometimes, can we repeat this in the next semester? I say, no, it's the one time possible. And then there are an, an, another effects of creating values. So for them, it's creating, it's a serious game, this project and challenge-based. After that, I give them opportunities to apply for scholarships, for real money. So if they devise an entrepreneurial project, they, there is an opportunity for them to continue. So it's not it's not fake. Plus there is a um, okay. I think I I can stop this. You know. So <laughs> if you have any questions, then oh, I, I would have plenty of questions about this. But um, uh, Sigi, and a qu question for you, maybe in that or kind of a, a, a follow up to this. Um, and I mean, you, you're the founder of a music platform, and uh, uh, so are there any elements of what Luca was, was describing right now that you also thinking about when kind of you know uh, operating or designing the, pl the platform or in any other area of your work uh, where you would say this comes to immediate application? I think gathering data is a key. I mean, I think your scheme education has not been really treated as a real methodology or a real scientific methodology. And uh, of course, we have a, diff a little bit different uh, data gathering, uh, gathering system than uh, Luco and LX. Uh, we cr I actually had to create my own methodology. I had to uh, actually go through the university. I had to uh, design my own resource methodology on how to... Um, actually get this data and the findings are basically that it can't be treated like there's some gimmick it has to be scientific right so what came out of my research is a 10-step um, list or like 10 steps of how you can actually implement it and what's uh, and how you can actually adapt it to the brand and uh, Alex is a b2b company doing b2b products and we are a b2c company so our brand adoption of the gamification method would be a little bit different, right? Uh, but I think in terms of what he is saying about gathering data and uh, thinking about this holistically and doing it seriously is really important to the whole uh, dialogue, basically, as a whole. I mean, do you both feel there are certain methodologies and uh, certain, let me call them standards maybe, that are slowly evolving in the field of uh, gamification and its application? Or do you feel like we're still at the very early stage of, you know, kind of making this happen? Um, <coughs> well, it depends. Uh, there is this octagon out there. I've been seeing this octagon, this gamification octagon. Yeah, I've octagon. Seen that too, yeah. 
that is okay when you know what the game education program is like, right? And what you're actually going to do. But in terms of actually discovering what you want to do and how it applies to your brand and to your methodologies, I think uh, Eluk was holding it up on the Zoom call, the Octagon. Uh, that's a really good uh, model to use when you're actually applying the game mechanics, right? But what needs in the field are the game developers, is the game design, right? So the whole, the whole gamification academic field has been dominated by those marketing experts, right? But there are no like game designers talking about how you could uh, get those game design or like game mechanics into the actual campaign, right? And I think that's seriously missing, but there's a lot of, lot of uh, uh, articles out there of why you should do gamification and why you should not do gamification and like so forth. But in terms of implementation, there's a huge gap. So it's an, that's an interesting topic. I mean, it was, there was a reason I was asking uh, Luca before about about the you know whether they used game designers um, for the Alex Coin project, and uh, and you're saying right now, Sigi, that game designers could add tremendous value to that entire thing. So I was wondering, what are your your two points of view on that? Uh, I mean, Luca, do you also feel that you know game designers, even though you didn't use them on that particular project, would add you know a lot of value in that area? And and if so, what kind of game designers and what kind of skill set in general? are we looking for that maybe is already there or is maybe not there that we would need to build in order to you know take this even further in different industries well um good question very good question so uh, yes 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 uh, to all of your questions okay that was the answer <laughs> no but now i will explain oh. it i will explain what i mean you you're asking about the profile of this person so this person has to create value in those companies like this. You have to create business value first of all. So this person has to know, has to have a knowledge. What is IT ar ar architecture? So how to integrate the concept into uh, into 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 languages, into into programming languages. If it's going to work, it's not going to work. If the concept's going to work, so so it, this person has to have a, a, a multi-dimensional educational background. I would say. Um, also social sciences, also informa information sciences, also maybe natural, um, how do you call it, physics or, or those topics. Uh, because this person will understand uh, how to create value in a very short time. Because if you start theorizing, developing theories and blah, 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 eventually you will not have success. So this person has to have also leadership qualities and abilities. So actually a high demand, uh, a high, yeah, I very developed profile. I've never seen a game designer with high um, leaders of qualities. I know, <laughs> I know, but but the demand is huge. But well, well, I, have, I actually, so, so I got to jump in here and, and help out the game designers a little bit. So I have been working in the games industry for, you know, over a decade now. And there are some game designers with leadership qualities. Uh, but I would agree with you. There are, um, you know, a lot of them that um, probably are very focused on, you know, the immediate application in the games industry. And I guess what, uh, if I understand you correctly it would be a much broader profile so they would they would need to bring a lot more different skills or develop those skills in order to you know be immediately impactful in, in a different environment well it's for me if i would employ people like this i need people like this because i need to create innovation for them i need to create difference i need to create something new and something feasible but of course on a tactical level or an operational level in a daily daily day-to-day -day basis you you can apply game designers a lot 
a lot, but I don't know how because I'm not in an operational level when the people code stuff definitely you can employ them but i wouldn't know how because my knowledge is lacking but on a on a global scale on a on a on a value creation scale scale you need the person who sees and in three sentences can deliver the the, the message so with lots of background and i think there are people like this and if people don't want to do it it's okay but i'm sure there are people and there is a huge demand for people like this I mean, game designers, when they make a game design document, that's basically that. That's almost a business plan plus game mechanics plus everything like that, right? And often they are somewhat technical but as well. To, like, you have to translate it for a, for a business analyst. You have to translate from business intelligence. So what oh, yeah, does it mean? Yeah. What does the game the mechanics mean in numbers, in, in euros, in dollars, in Icelandic kronas? Mm-hmm. Uh, because those people operate in a different terms. And I think there is a, if, if there are people who are searching for entering this market, this would be my advice to give them. Educate yourself, uh, lifelong, hashtag lifelong learning. Go out, uh, explore something new and think in numbers. And first of all, thinking how you would like to create, how, how can I create value of my knowledge? That would be the, my message. But definitely gamified designers are very useful. Since you work in academia, Luko, is there uh, this profile of a game designer? Is that something that you're trying to also explain to your students and uh, and trying to, you know, kind of instill this philosophy in them a little bit? Hopefully, you know, creating some of those uh, those great minds that you're looking for. So, um, if I let, let me boil it this down to a, the problem is with the students now, especially they are struggling. The education system is struggling and um and and not working well anymore it's the old ways which not work and the game is the way to go uh, to reshape the system redesign the system and also how the people approach the education and how they will approach their lives if they approach their life as a game as a serious game they will decrease the stress level they will decrease the level before the studies during the studies and after the studies. So it's the game has also health benefits. And I see this in my students. So if I shape, the, if I simulate real situation in a, in a um, educational environment, stressful situation, difficult situation, they will be prepared after the graduation for those situations. This is what a feedback I get after several years. In the beginning, they are crying, they are yelling, they are not happy. They are not uh, happy about this whole real case scenarios and project and challenge-based learning because they think, why is it? It's not working like this. The, the world is shiny and pink and full of flowers. But then after several years, they say, you know, this seminar helped me a lot because I know how to deal in those situations. I know what's happening there. So it sounds a little bit like you give them like the, the gamification and real world boot camp, right? <laughs> well, we have this game in um, in operational logistics management. We have this game when we have three teams. One sits in Malaysia, one sits in Germany, and the one is a global player. And they have to deliver a project in six months. And uh, well, it's like during the semester. Well, and you don't want to know what happened there on several occasions. So. Okay, I'm, it sounds like I'm not going to ask further. <laughs> yeah, so, but it's yeah, it's very tough. Sometimes very tough. Sounds like it's it's very intense. Yeah. 
so I want to um, change topics a little bit or kind of you know move in a little bit of a different direction. I know, Siggy, that you are thinking a lot about branding and uh, how to you know build a brand and what is important for uh, for you know growing a brand and so on. How do you see the connection between what we've talked about so far, uh, gamification, game-based thinking, and uh, building a new brand? What what are kind of key uh, elements for you there? I think key elements why I studied the concept from that uh, area was um, mostly because we interact with brands and games similarly, right? Interacting with them from a functional and an and like an emotional level, right? And there are a lot of frameworks for brands, for example, something called the customer brand uh, equity pyramid. That's a way to uh, visualize your brand or help your customers visualize your brands from a functional and an emotional level. And I think it's same goes with games, right? We actually do that with games. So what I was interested in was just to map out some of the brands that I was researching, how the customers saw the brands and how a potential game would fit that brand, right? And how can you, you could adapt a different gamification strategy to different brands, right? So what I was trying to see was that, can you have a qualitative mode too, where you can do this just to see how the brand actually looks like, and then say, look, this kind of a game, for example, a strategy game works well here because people interact with games on this emotional level and this functional level here, right? To get more insight. Are there any particular findings, any insights that you can share in that regard that you found out? Yeah, I found out that uh, gamification is a money-making machine. <laughs> it's a process. Uh, it's not supposed to be uh, some gimmicky add-on. And uh, what I found out, it's really, um, it's really important to begin with a business analysis, just to see what's relevant at that point in time, right? And then there are different factors that are um, also important, but also less important. But you have to have a score system, you have to have a reward system. Um, what I found out is that social dimension and interactivity between users is less important than the importance of having a score system and a reward system, right? So uh, there, there are a lot of findings that I find uh, interesting. But what's also interesting is that you have to include gamification from the ground up, from the awareness of the brand, that is how the consumers get the, uh, the marketing in, uh, info, to the identity of how they actually look at the brand from an emotional and functional level, uh, relationships, like how kind of judgments and feelings they have about the brands, and this brand resonance on top, which is the summit of the pyramid, is that if the consumers actually love your brand, right? And what I found out is that gamification can also at this brand loyalty, because people have this intensive relationship with games, right? So uh, I found out some things. So if you if you say that uh, you know ideally it's actually worked in from the ground up uh, when you when you build a brand, what does it mean for existing brands and services? So let's say let, let's say I'm you know a big brand and uh, I talk to uh, two of you and say like hey, you know how can I use gamification you know principles from that area to improve customer loyalty to to actually improve my brand um how is it different from you know a brand that is built completely new compared to one that has already been existing for a while oh when when i say uh, from the ground uh, i mean how the brand is actually shaped from the ground up 
that's mostly existing brands that are talking with. Okay. Awareness is the lowest level of how we interact with brands. Mm-hmm. Identity is a second level. Relationship is a third level. And brand resonance is, is a top level. Right. So what I would say is that I would uh, interview uh, some people within the companies and their customers. I would visualize how that brand would look like. And then I would take examples. I think this uh, methodology is almost only uh, usable with existing brands because they have some information and they have some data out there. So, uh, but what's missing is again the mechanics, of course. So, to what extent do you both think um, you know the the methods we're talking about are already been used uh, in in industries? Are there particular industries that are a, you know a fit? to to this more than others um are, are there any thoughts in that or well, uh, yeah yeah just maybe a few comments on that um, can we name brands in this podcast or it's not uh, i don't have a problem with that as long as you don't say this brand is particularly bad no, no i don't think no, <laughs> naming, no, I, naming I, brands I, is not a big deal you know it's fine. so it's not advertisement all listeners please it's not advertisement but think about tesla <clears throat> So Tesla. This is an ad. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, this is not an ad. I, I don't. It's well. I would like to be sponsored by Tesla, but it's not. We we, we will check afterwards if Loopy is sponsored by Tesla or not. And if uh, okay. he is, then we're gonna cut this segment out. <laughs> okay. So the pro the, the thing with Tesla is uh, you, we associate for now it's um, um, satellites and cars and well Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a brand. Then he has Tesla and Tesla is. Uh, cars but they are branching out into energy sector and this is what they disrupt this they disrupting the energy sector because uh, they gave the power to the customer in the energy sector they empowered the customer and they uh, the customer feel ownership over the utilities over energy over um, how much he spends when he charges his car, when he, uh, what he can do with the energy, with the electricity, for example. And this is what Tesla did. And this is a method, definitely a gamified method because of the user experience, because of the, those things. And I'm looking at now this octagonal and this is the, um, the, the, the core, uh, core driver four ownership and core driver three empowerment and empowerment is a wide head right brain intrinsic motivation so i feel motivated i I want to have it so i feel like in control and the ownership a little bit uh, black hat obsessive behavior so i can do whatever i like with this i play around so i i will save money on that so i will charge only when it's for free or something like that so i will step stand up in the middle of the night but my car will be charged with a very cheap energy and things like that so it's 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 a game and then he can you can play around with your neighbors also when you when you are in a system in a network of those uh, of those um, charging stations so i think tesla is using it already um but that generally the energy is very very old style still very system orientated industry um this is the, the, the example which pop up in my mind Tiggy? I think it's important to uh, add in that he is in black hat and white hat. That means uh, positive gamification and sometimes called uh, lacking gamification or like, are you going to take something from someone, right? And that's after you actually decided to uh, apply a certain game and then you basically go deeper into the actual mechanic of the game, right? Yeah. So just for, just, just for the listeners out there. So uh, black hat and white hat. Yeah. Right? So, 
So Another example is this electric Kiwi from New Zealand. They're kind of doing the same thing, a fully digital utility company, and they small, few years old, but the, the, the percentage of growth is amazing. It's, I don't know how, how many percentage, but it's like 300 a year or 400 a year because the customers believed them, because the customers liked them, because they enjoy it. It's simple, it's easy, it's fun. I think, I mean, uh, so I tested my theory in uh, hospitality, fast food, management consulting, energy, smart meters, uh, yeah, and I can't remember the rest, oil or gas. Um, I think there have to be some customers, there has to be some human elements to it, right? And when you miss the human element, you miss the opportunities to add gamification, right? So, for example, in construction, I can't see it in construction other than just rewarding the employers of doing some good, for example, paving roads or something. But I have no, nothing from my end what industries it wouldn't fit. Well, really. uh, for the construction, uh, actually, a good point because the construction is 20 years behind of everything. And they're building like crazy. The investment in the construction is huge. The money is in this business is amazing. Uh, but the problem is also amazing. So one of the reasons, but, but we can talk about this a lot, but I see the possibilities including gamification in the construction. One more good example is McDonald's. The children, they buy, they don't want to eat food. They want uh, these toys of McDonald's sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So, I can, you know, yeah. I know my daughter is the same way. She's five years yeah. old, and you know, yeah. she obviously she wants to have certain toys in there, and uh, it's mm -hmm. it's not really about the cheeseburgers; <laughs> it's really about the toy in there. But it, it, it actually, your conversation triggered a, a question that I uh, that I'm interested in, and that's B two B versus B two C. I mean, a lot of construction uh, work that you were giving as a sample is is usually it, it might be for consumers; it might be for people in the end, but it's uh, you know all the contracts, everything is more on a B two B level. Um, and uh, you know, uh, Alex, the, the company that uh, you work for, uh, Luku is also, like you said, more on a, on a B2B level. So how do you think um, gamification methods are different for B2B applications and B2C applications? In the end, it's all about people, I think. There's people in B2B, and one of the, the misconceptions that I usually see in the industry that people think like, oh, that's B2B, so they're, they don't wanna have fun. <laughs> more often than not, they actually do, because in the end, it's people. But do you see differences between those uh, two areas in terms of what you can do and and how much you can achieve with uh, gamification methods um, so it's a question to me yes and then I will pass to Sigi so <clears throat> well we have a current a customer in which relates to construction industry it's also logistic construction and, and they correlate interrelate and you know there are many stakeholders and the stakeholders usually are not engaged they don't they, they have there's no connection and there is because of that people the companies lose lots of money and um, what they need they need to talk with each other they need to be aligned and just to bring them in this conversation and this huge companies huge massive loads of people of goods of uh, construction businesses of cars to bring them together um, if you tell them do it because you will get more money out of it forget about it you have to design the system between them so that they would like to be in contact with them and then they realize okay we're saving money okay we're earning money okay this is fun okay this is easy this is the task for designers for game designers it's for designers 
it, well, the usual process, we go from strategic consulting, then we go into user experience with the prototyping, and then we go into development. So this is the second phase. This is where this, in the second phase, when the game designer can shape those systems. And this is very, very useful to have a game designer in this uh, user experience uh, product design uh, phase. The game designer should be there and okay. should approach this process from a holistical point of view with some tactical operational gimmicks. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. How would you uh, convince leaders in companies that uh, might be a little resistant to that to um, you know hire a game designer or something? It's, some, it's something that I uh, have encountered myself, you know, and I, I worked a bit in the field of, of serious games in the past couple of weeks, worked with manufacturers uh, of like mm. big machinery and everything. And sometimes you had, um, you know, entrepreneurs and or visionaries that really understood how much of an impact this can have. But then more often than not, you had people, especially on like the, the second tier leadership level, they were like, what game designer? Uh, what is that even games? No, no, we don't do games here. So how do you overcome that obstacle? It's a question for both of you, actually, because it's it's a challenge that I always see in, in, in different industries. My answer would be a little bit more brutal because I face lots of people like this and I don't, I'm have difficult times with people like this but Ziggy maybe you start and maybe it's smooth it will smooth my soul yeah so uh, answer the former question of the difference between B2B and B2C yeah. uh, there are of course differences I uh, see a lot of gamification in the CRM systems of like when people are selling some people within other companies right and then they have some sales bonuses or reward systems or like something like that right so there are some opportunities in actually doing that from a B2C level, I don't know if adding toys to a meal would be gamification, right? But uh, it is another uh, it is another game, like entirely if you are actually marketing to actual consumers, but not from a B2B level. With the game designers and companies, back on the subject. Um, I think if you create a methodology, if you create a methodology that is confirmed and uh, has a university stat and is thought of as uh, seriously as, for example, search engine optimization or data marketing or like something like that, right? Then you can actually implement it into several fields, right? And the problem is now is that game designers are confined to a really small target of the actual market, which is actually game, you know, the actual gaming industry, right? So what you have to do is to, um, Luca was saying that you have to be this Ubermans to uh, to be this, uh, you know, designer for those uh, bigger industries. But what you have to do, for example, with the game design document, you just have to apply it and adapt it to different industries, right? For example, finance, for example, insurance, and like so forth, right? I think it's just when a new field is uh, growing and it's uh, just, a, yeah, I, I think you just have to convince people. And to create something that's, uh, yeah. It's a key word uh, CG mentioned here, convincing. And convincing has to do with me with understanding the human behavior, understanding the drivers of this person who say no, this middle management people, who, what is the purpose, what is the agenda? And then you go into negotiation process with them. And, and it's, a, again, a game. Understanding them and tricking them into doing something good, that's fun, actually. Because when you, you and you know and you annoy them and they are annoyed and if you know that it's you're annoying them on purpose and then you can extract something from them, that's like 
well, really fun game, to be honest. <laughs> maybe, maybe not so much for them because they're annoyed, but for yeah. you, it might be. It, it reminds mm -hmm. me on, uh, you mm -hmm. know, about a situation that I was in personally. So I was invited by a pharmaceutical company. I'm not going to disclose the name here, but mm -hmm. uh, I was invited there and uh, by the, the CEO of the company, uh, pretty pretty big company actually, and uh, they wanted me and a coworker, both uh, you know, with a little bit of background in gamification series games, to take a look at their processes and and you know help them understand what they could do to uh, you know improve all kind of different areas using game design thinking and uh, uh, you know and, and help them be a better business I would say in a, in a nutshell so uh, we were invited it was great we learned a lot about you know how you know pharmaceutical products are made and uh, and then we had this um, wrap-up session in the afternoon uh, sitting there all the middle management uh, was invited uh, it was a Friday afternoon uh, in Germany about five o'clock or so so uh, I mean uh, Luca you work in Germany so you can imagine that people were not particularly happy uh, yeah. to, to well, be I, there I'm surprised that people were there they were there and uh, it started with you know telling us that they were asked to be there. Uh, they don't actually know why, because they don't know what games have to do with any of the, <laughs> any of the, the, the stuff they work on. And uh, this is how the meeting started. And then they were looking at us. We thought, you know, they had been given the brief by, you know, the CEO and uh, they know why we're there, but they were not. So there were 20 people, all management, the pharmaceutical company staring at us like, now you tell us why you're here and what we're supposed to do. And that was one of the most awkward <laughs> experiences yeah. that I've been going through the last couple of years. But it, to me, it, uh, it was the trigger for my question to you guys, like uh, it, it, why I really think it matters to you know, think about uh, how you convince the people. And I think you both said it's, it's very important. But in that case, I have to say I was clueless. I had zero chance of like convincing the people. I was trying to find ambassadors within the group, but yeah. uh, maybe there was one or two people that were that that said something like, "Oh yeah, my kids also play games." So uh, that that was pretty much their contribution. <laughs> the rest was really like uh, having those question marks over that's, their heads, uh, and that was horrible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I connect with you on many levels here. So the first two comments on that: the ABC method: attention, belief, and care. You have to gain their attention, you have to make them believe, and they have to care. So, and if you can pitch according to ABC method, then you have a chance. You can engage people, you cannot convince them, you have to engage them. And then mm -hmm. if they are engaged, if they feel connected, if they are attentive, if they believe in you, and if you, they care, then you have a chance. And the second comment, I forgot what was the second comment, sorry. Oh, no worries. <laughs> yeah, but it was important as well, so... Yeah, it connects to my phrase before that. So you have to choose people you would like to work with. If you're not comfortable with people you would like to work, that's the question of, is it worth pursuing? Is the person, yeah, you, you can sell them the project, but the project will never will never fly. So And that brings us to question of sustainability. So what's the point of doing something without the end result if you cannot in the end create yeah. the value? And this is the connects again to your core values as a company, as a personality, as a, as a authenticity. And again, goes back to the gamification. So if the people feel that you're honest, that you're authentic and that you can say no, and that you can say, if you don't want to have it, go to hell. I will find somebody else who want to have it. So you will, after a few years, you will come back to me, but the price tag will be three times higher. Think yeah. about it. So, and this is this is what happening actually. So, and this is brings me back to what Sigi always said: the authenticity of what you do and believing in the the work you do. But for that, there's a 
high demand of education needed. Yeah, yeah and I think uh, what you were saying is, is, is spot on. Uh, that uh, that particular example that I gave personally, we decided to not pursue this any further because it wouldn't have made sense. You know, why why yeah. would we bother? It's a complete waste of time. Uh, exactly. People are not ready yet. But what I learned is that leadership and gamification are very connected um, so if you don't have the right mindset if you d if you're not in a, in a structure where you lead people a certain way to be curious uh, to actually mm -hmm. pay attention like following your ABC method that you were describing mm -hmm. Luca, pay attention and then it's not my method I'm not borrowing not the yours, method from uh, no, Colin <laughs> Bennett <laughs> I know so <laughs> okay. but I but uh, just referring to it so uh, if you are able to raise uh, attention and uh, you know and, and make people believe it can actually be um, and a positive impact, then I think yeah. you're uh, already, ha I don't want to say completely through, but halfway through, because then at least yeah. you open their minds for stuff like that. So uh, for me, that's, like I said, what I learned is leadership, gamification, very connected um, in, in many ways. I agree with you. So just hashtag the rule of 150. If you know what the rule of 150 says, then... Actually, I do not. Well, okay, then I can talk about this as well, but about the ABC method, it's a, I can recommend you the guy it's Colin Bennett called Conan Bell and he is based in Frankfurt but originally from UK and he does those magical stuff when pitching so he developed devices this ABC method he has a, also a Hollywood method he has a several different method of pitching convincing not convincing engaging mm -hmm. through language and through 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 your nature so I would recommend you to to google him and to to get in touch he's a this is a one of the brightest men I know so um and about the rule of 150, it's a it's a it's a it was a research done in the United States in 80s 90s, and this is uh, relates to the um, correlation between amygdala and the size of the human brain. Um, so the amygdala is the part which is responsible for social connection in the human brain, and it says that uh, amygdala you have can have 150 amygdalas in the human brain so and this correlation means that you have uh, you can uh, on on a on a sensible level interconnect with only 150 people everything what will be above 150 people is too much for your brain to process the information you cannot process anymore because it's too much information you have to keep track on um, that relates to the experience they devised with um, primates and because they thought why primates primates have this group thinking why they have this stable communities and they thought maybe it's because of the food gathering and why they're so smart but no they, they are so smart because they have a very strong social connection that brings us back to the social channel capacity, uh, informational commission, um, information channel capacity, emotional channel capacity, and social channel capacity. And this is the, the this, this, the, this, this whole scientific uh, voodoo voodoo, um, uh, find its implication in the Gore-Tex company in the United States. If you know the Gore-Tex company, yes, yes, this is what they make it happen. So this is the guy, the, the Al Gore, um, I think it was Al Gore. He was uh, he's implemented in the DNA of the company, and and the company um, they don't look on the profit. Profit is given. So th this is this one company that they n n not ev not a single time they suffered a loss, no matter what crisis there were. They were always growing, growing, growing. So it was stable. And growing and because they implemented this rule of 150 in the organizational structure of the companies 
I don't know why I'm talking about this, but it somehow relates to the question before. Sorry, but Lars. It's, but it's super interesting. I could actually go on and listen to you for hours talking about this because I think it is uh, like the. Um, I'm always interested in the, the well, science of uh, in the science of human connection. And, uh, then and you have kind of relations we can do. We have two guys from Gore-Tex in Alex, and one of them was co-creator of the. Uh, so he was working with the co-creator with Al Gore. He was taught by uh, Al Gore um, in the infancy. He's based in the United States in the East Coast, somewhere in New England. He's retired, but he likes to to help companies. And he's also partly Ukrainian, partly American. So he kind of wants to reconnect to the roots and blah, blah, blah. And this is, and another guy was in a sales department in the UK in the Gore-Tex. So, and he brings this to both of them. We talk a lot about that, uh, about the culture and about those principles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you want to know more, I'm happy to tell you more or connect you with those guys as well. Yeah, I would definitely love a connection and uh, maybe we can even, you know, uh, kind of uh, extend that uh, uh, knowledge to our DevCom uh, podcast community. <laughs> it's, it's, wow. it's very, very interesting. Well, they're very approachable and this is how we operate. So the the, the, the distance between a, a cleaning lady and between a CEO is non-existent in, in our company. And I think that's a, it's a very... Uh, you know, important uh, approach of and how you think about uh, these yeah. things, and uh, you know, the, the the reason why I'm always particularly keen on leadership topics and talking about those uh, those elements is because uh, you know they they actually play into so many different other areas. Uh, there was a reason, by the way, at DefCon why we introduced uh, a leadership track um, that was not purely focused on games, but more like on a more holistic approach on how you how you build teams, how you lead teams, what is important, the psychology of things, and so on. And this talk that we have uh, together today is also uh, you know going in that direction a little bit which is not a pure games talk you know some some so some of our audience that was hoping you know we talk about games only you know they uh, they might be disappointed but i think it is very valuable that we uh you know really touch on those topics because they have so many implications you will be disappointed in me i played a game a computer game once in my life it was sim city when i was 16 or 17 i spent 24 hours i didn't get up of my table and then after that i think this is fucking waste of time sorry i need to do something else <laughs> Sorry for saying that. I may be disappointed <laughs> to you, but... Well, I, I think we have a mission now, uh, convincing you that, uh, you know, gaming is not a waste of time. But I appreciate no, no. that uh, you understand that a lot of the things we do in gaming are definitely very helpful to other areas. No, so. I think that this is the way to go. This is the only way to go. After in every sector now, especially in the post-pandemic world, there is no other chance to change the system only through gamification. So there's redesigning this. It actually brings me to kind of the the, the wrap up uh, question I would have for the both of you. I mean, this year, obviously, 2020, a very challenging year, a very interesting uh, situation with the pandemic and a lot of other things going on around the world uh, that, uh, you know, might, um, you know, follow us for a little while. Um, how do you think uh, gamification can help uh, things we talked about today can help in a situation like this uh, when we talk about the challenges we're facing at the moment? Hmm. To get to your earlier question of how do you convince someone within a company to use gamification? Thank you. Now it's my turn to answer the question. Sorry, sorry, you, sorry. You, you would have to have a, a pitch engine to actually do it because now all of the academic talk and all of the talk on the internet is why you should do gamification and why you should not do gamification, right? You have to have a model to show what this kind of company is. And the APC in my uh, instance would be always be closing, right? So that would be what is the ROI of your marketing investment, right? So you have mm -hmm. to have a framework to show the company 
why this gamification method and this game mechanic is good for this company. That's the reason why gamification has to become a methodology and not just a word, right? Yeah. Not just a hype, right? That That is the actual reason. And then you have to build a brand, just have to be blah, 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 blah. Okay, so that's my, so that's my answer to that. Uh, uh, a little bit shorter answer. Uh, for the wrap-up question, again, we are stuck in our homes now at this moment in time, and we can't do anything, right? So it's really important to take what's on your screen and give you real life value out of it, because what the world is needing now is real life value. What games do is that they lay, they 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 um, they uh, merge actual with fantasy, right? They merge this together, right? And it's really important to make the distinction between games and the gamification, right? Because games are a planned game that you do, but gamification is the application of game behavior in non-gaming environment, right? So as we are here in our homes and we can't meet, we have to find ways to create this fantasy out of this digital experience, so you won't have to leave your homes to actually have fun, to actually have value, right? So I think that's the biggest question, why this is so relevant now, right? Because yeah. we have to have this step from just a marketing service or this service to be highly personalized and that you get something out of the platform, right? Because I don't get anything out of using social media. But Tinder, again, on the Tinder example, people really get some resource out of using Tinder, right? And it's really fun and it's really game effect, right? So how can we do it with other products? So any any thoughts, Luke, from your side on? on... Uh, well, it's a very difficult question. I was thinking how to answer it short. Uh, so I would say, <clears throat> apply the methods the game designers use to reshape the system, because there is a need to reshape the system economically, culturally, socially, and if you apply those methods, um, then you have a chance in consumerism, how you consume stuff, how you produce stuff, how you communicate with each other, how you engage with each other. That's a really good point, Luko. That's a, that's a massively good point. With, because that's consumerism as a whole. We don't buy things we, we need, we buy things we want, right? And that's basically came like, that's how we built up our lives, right? It's funny because now COVID has happened and everything has crashed, right? It's funny how the world crashes if we don't have any tourism, right? Or like, or like something like that. It's a whole economy crashing because we have to be at our homes, right? Tactically, we only need to have food and shelter, right? Tactically, that's the only thing we need, right? But consumerism is a really interesting input, Luko, into this conversation. Is that, you know, there's so many things that I'm seeing now that are actually your social media, how it is gamified and how we want to rank up. And it's all pointless, really, other than we are stuck in this game of social approval and all of that. Right. Yeah, a lot of people have realized, I think, during these times what uh, what matters and what in the end it comes down to. So a lot of the things that you, you were saying, Sigi, are, uh, I think, uh, really, uh, you know, true for a lot of for a lot of people, you know, that they understand, you know, there's there's basic needs. And but they still, you know, what I can see right now, people still want to, uh, you know, they want to engage with others. They want to be entertained. So when I talk to people, uh, the, the thing that most people miss the most is interaction with others is a sense of community uh, and, yes. and really being together with other people in the same physical space and uh, and having that that sense of connection, which is something that 
going back to the games part that I've seen where games contribute quite a bit, even if it can't be in, in real physical connection, I can see that uh, a lot of um, you know platforms that are currently being used virtually and that they are not the same thing, but they are trying to um, you know to experiment with different concepts to actually get people closer together and, and have more exchange as much as possible. And I think that's that's also something that uh, you could really see this year. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's, it's a very exciting time to be said. So, um, make, can I have a few more comments? Sure. So, I don't know why people are not talking about this, but let's think about people who are 14, 15, 16, 17. This is the time for them to, to be together, to do stuff together, to interact, to learn how to, uh, how to interact in, a few, in, in later years, but they don't have the chance to do it and if this crisis will continue they will miss three four years of their life yeah. they won't learn the social behavior of interacting male and female what does it mean for us as a society so what does it mean this gap i don't know i'm i'm just i thought it because i heard heard from many people from many youngsters from teenagers they don't have a chance for that what they do they have the social gatherings and online beer pong or online drinking <laughs> parties what's what's the point so yes of course it's fun but you don't it's not the point of meeting and this community this belong belonging together i think this corona uh, did many good things as well because it brought us together so we understand that we are basically nothing for nature we are just some small organism that can be eliminated very fast and, and this, are, this takes this takes a very very solemn turn. This this, this podcast. But okay, okay, I'm gonna shut up. <laughs> I'm gonna shut up. I'm gonna shut up. Just I I I can refer you to some uh, articles by the Guardian. In the Guardian, they describing those um, uh, the reason why it happened, and it's not gonna be the it's not the first one. It's definitely not gonna be the last one. Pandemic. So. You have I'm to. Not saying, you have I'm not to saying do. you're wrong, Luke. I'm just saying, you know, I want to finish on a high note. You know, <laughs> the high <laughs> note. The high <laughs> note. You have to be resilient, and yeah. we're learning now to be resilient, and we're surviving. And this is this is very good for us as a society. This gives us what we need, always needed, resilience. Yes. Wow. Um, well, that was really existentially dark. <laughs> you know, Ukrainian Ziggy, um, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm also dark, but that's just to get it on another place, man. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, before this, we had the social dilemma, right? We had those young people only connecting through internet, right? And we had this huge amount of anxiety with teenagers, and they were not meeting anymore, and they had this own, like, social anxiety, and that's nothing new, right? But I think with gamification, what difference... Uh, differentiates gamification from all of those other marketing methods is again it creates it creates real value out of a digital experience right that's what it does and what leading up to this now is just young people unfortunately being too much inside and using social media too much and they got in social anxiety and so forth and you are saying that this crisis might be doing something good for us. I don't know if it will change anything in uh, like in this aspect. I mean, maybe it will. Maybe it will actually bring us closer together. But I think maybe it like created this gap, so we just would figure out like have to figure out faster that we have to actually fill this gap, right? But what's really evident to me is that like this year can't just be this year anymore. I'm holding on my phone, yeah. So. It, it 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 has to be coming out of the phone, right? It has to be reality and fantasy merging together, right? 
And that's why I'm so interested. I mean, I've been attending game conferences for like forever. Not because I'm so much into games, that you see those people dressing like games, they laugh and they do all of that. They literally become a character, right? And I see this in fashion as well. I mean, we dress in certain brands to represent a character, right? But gaming people just take it one step further, right? They dress like Chewbacca or they dress like what, like whatever, right? And I find this to be fascinating, this like role-playing things. Because we all role play, right? A police officer, uh, a police officer role plays, and a chef, and a, and a businessman, and, uh, and uh, you know, and 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 it's so evident. It has been like this small subgroup of people that has been like this, uh, just out in the corner people that are like playing Dungeons and Dragons and laughing. This like all like nerd image, right? But it, it's not that different from us choosing to be in different clothes, right? It's not that much different, right? And I think gamification will just explode this, right? I think it will maybe democratize this LARPing thing, right? Just imagine if role-playing was just be, be like democratized, right? So I, I think this is, this is a good, good final statement. It's like the gamification is going to democratize the LARPing. <laughs> it's, uh, right. it's, it's definitely yes. something that... Uh, Do you, you agree? Well, Do you agree? Do you I, want I, to? I, <laughs> Do I want to agree? Well, I, I I think that uh, you know there are a, a lot of people um, that that's what I want to say to this. There's a lot of people that um, are right now really thriving and uh, getting a little bit out of a you know maybe a social corner they were put in because they were you know somehow introverts and this this kind of you know uh, the way they expressed themselves was was maybe not really something that everybody was aware of. But now in this in this special situation, you know, people are 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 doing this more and more because that's their way to to express with. Within you know the the difficult situation we're in right now, and I think everybody's looking for for that kind of uh, kind of connection there. So that on the one hand, it makes it difficult for you know a lot of people that want to meet in person, but people that maybe didn't want to do that before so much, and a lot in the gaming area are a little bit more in the um, on the introvert side of things. For them, it's a very interesting situation that that we're in. So that's that's kind of my comment on. I mean, you're using thing. a background. You're using this devcom background that that are like merging in and out of, you know. Just this, me to consume, you can have a different background, right? And you can dress in different clothes. Mm. You can have a LARPing, you can have a live LARPing thing, right? Just, I mean, I mean, I, I think it might, I, I know it might sound ludicrous, like you have it on Zoom. Everyone can do it. Mm. It's just a matter of time, right? But really, how long does it take until we will lose our minds, right? How, how, how long will it take until we just have this so much quarantine fatigue that the suicide rates will just skyrocket and we have to just completely delve into fantasy? Like the Japanese. The Japanese are super interesting in that matter, right? You just see yeah. Japanese culture with this kawaii thing just exploding, right? And, they, and, they like, <laughs> and the boundaries between reality and fantasy really is just blurred there, right? And people completely lost their minds in Japan, right? Completely did that. But when will we become that, right? And well, I, I think it's I think it's already happening. So if the audience uh, could see, uh, see this right now, I mean, we're an audio podcast. Fortunately, I would say in that case, because uh, Lupko is showing me his uh, Zoom repertoire on uh, you know on different yeah, uh, fil filters <laughs> that he's using. You know, wearing a mask and a pirate hat and everything. So, mm -hmm. guys. 
I just want to uh, thank you very much for uh, a great episode. Yeah. We, we uh, touched on many different topics and I think it is, is a very interesting topic to follow over the next years to come, like how does gamification impact uh, society in general and, and different, mm -hmm. uh, different businesses. Uh, and I think uh, there are game designers out there uh, that are really interested in bringing their knowledge to other areas as well. So we, we mm -hmm. want to encourage them uh, to take that leap of faith and uh, talk to others and, and get an insight from mm -hmm. other industries and see how they can apply their uh, methodologies there and, uh, and what they can learn about it. I think there's a lot of uh, value for both sides in that. Uh, so we definitely mm -hmm. need it outside the games industry as well. Not encouraging mm -hmm. everybody to, to leave us here, but I just want to say, you know, if you're, Absolutely. if you wanted to, to look, uh, you know, I think outside of the box and then look into other areas, then I think it's a very good time to do that right now. Definitely. With that, thank you so much, Sigi. Thank you so much, Luko, uh, for you. your time today. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're probably going to do a follow-up at some point to see uh, where this journey takes us. Thank oh, you. Okay. I mean, thank you for listening to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast, presented by DevCom.Global, produced by Sven Vossi, executive producer Stefan Reichart, music by WeLoveIndies.com, supported by Biodynamic, high-quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers, made in Germany.